0: Democrats have nothing left but Trump, the last spectacular ball in the history of the empire. Quote, a few days after the November 2016 elections, I sat down to write out my feelings which consisted mainly of fear and loathing. The president-elect, I intoned, was a dangerous lunatic, one likely to recall the ghost of Führer's past. His election meant the death of America, of democracy itself, and maybe even scores of Americans. Assume the worst is imminent, I advised. Celebrities I'd admired my entire life praised the piece on Twitter. NPR came calling. Seven years later, my cri de remains one of Tablet's most widely read articles. As a piece of writing, it was moving, forceful, and entirely wrong. You can find much to dislike about Trump, his policies, his personalities, and an assortment of other failings. And over the next four years, I did just that, often with gusto. But my piece remains an embarrassment, more hysterical, eululation, than an attempt at any kind of useful or correct analysis that readers deserve. Reading it today, I realized that, for a brief moment there, I lost my goddamn mind. End quote. Leal Leibowitz Did you ever wonder why, if they hated Trump so much, he was everything, everywhere, all of the time? Why did every conversation, every late night joke, almost every tweet, every good liberal's Facebook feed, every speech, every essay, every headline for four years straight from 2016 to 2020 center on Trump? Because the truth is, it was never really about Trump. It was about us what we were before Trump, what we did while Trump was in office and what we're doing now. Sooner or later, the clock is going to run out on this madness. Democrats can't live with or without Trump. I always knew that sooner or later the mass hysteria was going to evaporate because it always does. Although I left the Democratic Party before the election, I still voted for Biden. Even as I did so, I knew that there was something wrong with the left and that it was much more dangerous for that power to capture our government than Trump could ever be. It wasn't something I could face just yet, and certainly not something I could say out loud, but I thought it. My gut told me I wasn't wrong. As more of us come out of the haze that was the last seven years of complete and total insanity, we will try to make sense of what we just lived through, says Leibovitz, quote, The resistance offered purpose and community and something else, too. It offered the pleasure of letting yourself get caught up in something. The Women's March, BLM, Russiagate, they all seem to offer, in the moment, the irresistible possibility of coming-togetherness to promote or defend justice. And in every single one of these cases, the core leadership or premise, which we held as solid, was later proven wrong, or worse, end quote. For one thing, we were never the resistance, we were always the empire. We were a massive alignment of corporate and cultural power that had, over the past 20 years, become the side with all of the money— because we staked our claim on the internet first. With Obama building his coalition on Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg amassing unlimited power to connect with every voter that used Facebook, 200 million or so, Google, Apple, and Microsoft all leaning left, we owned what we believed now defined America. It's just that it didn't. It only seemed that way. We had control of the mainstream media, And that gave us a distorted image of our own importance and convinced us that if we could control the narrative, we could decide reality. That is what the mass hysteria was about for the four years of Trump's presidency. But mass hysteria throughout our history as a species seems to always end badly, especially when it spreads to government. Then there are public hangings, internment camps, and worse. Even before the attack on Pearl Harbor there were warnings about potential Japanese saboteurs in our country that supposedly vandalized some power lines. This would turn out not to be true, but the fear was already rising, such that when the Japanese did attack, it was the very thing the government most feared. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, despite protests by some in his administration, and even his wife Eleanor to send 100,000 men, women, and children of Japanese ancestry to be confined in isolated, fenced, and guarded relocation centers known as internment camps.
1: Early on December 7, 1941, the Japanese attacked the American naval base at Pearl Harbor on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. The next day, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt will declare war on Japan, and the United States will officially join the Allied forces in both Pacific and European theaters of World War II. But this international conflict has immediate and severe domestic repercussions. Only hours after the attack on Pearl Harbor, FBI agents take into custody over 1,000 Japanese American religious and community leaders. Soon, American military officers and members of Congress will push President Roosevelt to take further steps against what they call the threat of espionage and sabotage from Japanese Americans. Thousands of Japanese nationals and American citizens with Japanese heritage will be forced out of their homes and into internment camps beginning on this day March 24th, 1942.
0: While we didn't get internment camps after 9-11, we did get the Patriot Act and unprecedented levels of surveillance of American citizens, not to mention ongoing alerts by color. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a color chart for terrorist threats, Delta, Charlie, Bravo, Alpha, with orange being the imminent threat of terrorism. And yes, it is one of those odd things future generations won't be able to fully understand. How it could be we had both orange threat levels and a president sometimes called orange man bad. When Vice President Kamala Harris compared January 6 to 9-11 in Pearl Harbor, it was not an accident. In both of those tragic attacks on our country, unlimited power was granted to the government to detain, imprison, investigate, and convict citizens for their perceived ideology. They don't realize they're caught up in the same kind of authoritarian overreach because they have convinced themselves that the so-called insurrection was driven by white rage. Looking back 20 years from now, all of this will be easier to parse how fear drove our government to go to war with its own people. You're one of the leaders
1: of the party now, Sarah. Don't get co-opted by Limbo and the other extremists. They'll destroy the party if you let them. Remember, you were a hockey mom. You just wanted to make a difference. And you did. A big, huge difference. Always be
2: grateful. Thank you. What you got, sir?
0: Game change was meant to draw a dividing line between the good Republicans like John McCain and the bad Republicans like Sarah Palin because she was stoking the flames of racism and xenophobia. I believed that too. The Tea Party was something people like me could not fathom because we saw ourselves as the only grassroots movement and we saw the right as the stodgy, conventional, old-money power base. Just as Occupy Wall Street rose up against the establishment left, the Tea Party was rising up against the establishment right. When I first began to do my own research into MAGA and the populist movement, I first set out to do a deep dive on Steve Bannon, who was public enemy number one on the left. I assumed I would find one video after another that exposed him as a racist and xenophobe. I believed he was a far-right fascist because that's what I'd been told. But what I found in watching his videos, and subsequently in listening to his War Room podcast going on at least two years by now, is that it simply isn't true. It's not about race.
3: I got to tell you, a lot of people are saying they're frustrated with the election, with our candidates, and they're saying they're not going to vote, and that their vote doesn't count. What do you say to people like that?
2: It's absolutely critical. The whole, this whole thing came out. I gave my shortened speech because of the rain, was about this all is going to come down to a ground game. This is all going to come down to voter turnout. This is going to come out in places like Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Colorado, a handful of states, and about five million people will determine the direction of the country. It is absolutely incumbent upon all of us that we have just as much hard work and just as much determination as we had in 2010. Remember, with no money and no support in 2010, the Tea Party won a huge victory. And that was all because people got off the sofa, went to a rally, found their neighbors, went to Facebook, got on Twitter, went to these sites, used social media with no money at all. We totally disintermediated, which is a fancy term for saying we moved the political parties out of the way and and people took control of their own destinies. That has to happen. You think, if you're frustrated, this is not going to happen in one election. We're in a literally a 10 or 20-year struggle for the future of the country, and that's where you're just going to have to man up, toughen up, just like our forefathers, right? We're going to have to do exactly the kind of effort they had, and we can win.
3: I like what you said about how our forefathers, they were were
0: fighting... What Steve Bannon knows, what I know, is that if Neil Howe's generational theory is right, and we are in a fourth turning, 2008 was the crisis that sparked it. Bannon has long been associated with the concept of the fourth turning because he's been actively trying to harness that power to build what he calls an inclusive, participatory, capitalist, nationalist movement. Our government, our legacy media, our movie stars and cultural leaders are now comfortable using Trump and MAGA to send a message to the rest of the country. They mock them, they shun them, they spit on them, they dehumanize them, and they need them to keep scaring the public in ways that grant them unlimited power to shatter norms and eliminate the rights of ordinary citizens. That's how they got away with their cabal of powerful allies to essentially rig the 2020 election. They didn't do it with fraudulent ballots or anything like that. They had enough lawyers and enough money to simply change any laws that got in their way. They also needed complete control of the media to gaslight us about everything from covid to the protests in the summer of 2020. That meant most Americans who follow mainstream news never knew how bad things got in, say, Kenosha, Wisconsin. They couldn't have known that a false narrative rippled through Twitter, and before the day was done, Kenosha burned to the ground. Jacob Blake, they said, had shown up to break up a fight and was shot in the back by police. But that was a narrative they would not correct for months. Even Joe Biden and Kamala Harris reached out to his family, and not the family of the woman he threatened, or any of those who lost their businesses and even their lives that summer. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet from the Washington Post. We've deleted a previous tweet that incorrectly described Jacob Blake as unarmed. While his family has said he was not armed when shot by police, prosecutors on Tuesday said video evidence depicts him holding a knife. The story has been corrected. January 5th, 2021. But if you didn't know the truth, you would never have known. What would have caused a teenager to pick up a rifle and do what he believed was his patriotic duty to protect citizens and businesses from protesters? You would have believed what Joe Biden said, that Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist. You also wouldn't have known that the cabal was also behind those protests from time. Quote, The racial justice uprising sparked by George Floyd's killing in May was not primarily a political movement. The organizers who helped lead it wanted to harness its momentum for the election without allowing it to be co-opted by politicians. What the drivers of the well-funded cabal, an unprecedented power alliance of well-connected people, thought was a good way to get voters excited about the election Spiraled out of control into the most destructive, violent event in American history, no one would talk about. Those of us who thought violent protests would hurt the Democrats heading into November had no idea that the cabal would be controlling the media narrative, too, making sure all points led back to Trump. If you knew what really happened in Kenosha, and if you knew what really happened in many different states that summer, there is no way you could have seen the riot at the Capitol as the worst attack since the Civil War. Maybe because the wrong kind of people were rising up against the untouchable government and not, say, Sue and her 100-year-old mattress store.
3: This was a 100-year-old building, a family-run mattress store. For one man who risked his life defending it, it was much more than that. It's hard. (laughs) This is hard. She surveyed the damage up close for the first time today. Every inch of Sue Moniz and Keith McCarty's mattress store is destroyed. BUT THEY'VE HAD SOMETHING ELSE ON THEIR MINDS. WELL, SOMEONE ELSE. HE'S he's TEENY, BUT HE
4: LOVES FIERCELY, AND HE'S JUST MY HERO.
0: I'M SORRY, SIR. I'M VERY SORRY ABOUT THAT, MAN.
3: ARMED WITH NOTHING BUT A FIRE EXTINGUISHER, 70-YEAR-OLD ROBERT COBB TRIED TO DEFEND HIS FRIEND SUE'S SHOP FROM A GROUP OF ARSONISTS AND LOOTERS MONDAY NIGHT. They just threw a bottle at this guy. The whole thing was caught on camera. We want to warn our viewers it's difficult to watch. Fresh from a double bypass surgery, Robert was standing guard until someone punched him so hard in the face that he collapsed to the sidewalk. I can't.
4: I can't. and I can't even think about how bad it could have been. I mean, it's bad enough they broke his jaw.
3: Robert playfully dodged our cameras most of the day because he said he wants the story to be about how much the Kenosha community loves his friend Sue. It's funny because Sue said the story is about Robert's bravery. Either way, their reunion was beautiful. Robert's jaw was broken in two places and he went in for surgery this afternoon. This my rock, my inspiration. Even though their shop is... We will rebuild. And- These owners say they found a silver lining in the violence and destruction that's ravaged their community, and that break in the clouds is a lifelong friend.
4: This is stuff. I mean, it's devastating. It was my livelihood, a lot of memories, a lot of, you know, but but it's, it's just stuff. I can't replace that man. That man's not just stuff.
3: Almost three days later, the building is still smoking. The owners tell me they want to rebuild in a different location, but it's too soon to know the timeline the Danish Brotherhood
0: next but now they seem to believe they have a right to punish American citizens for a protest that got out of hand and one according to Julie Kelly was micromanaged by the FBI quote the document represented just one more instance of how a government agent helped shape the government's narrative that the proud boys plotted in advance to carry out an insurrection on January 6th In fact, much like the FBI-engineered plan to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020, court proceedings confirmed that FBI assets might outnumber criminal defendants. Even the New York Times can't avoid the story anymore. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a story from the Times that says, In Proud Boys' January 6th sedition trial, FBI informants abound. The most recent informant to emerge from the trial is a Texas-based activist who became uncommonly close to some of the defendants, their lawyers, and relatives. The problem is that Democrats could not deliver for the American people. After they put together that powerful alliance to essentially rig an election, Americans were stuck with a guy whose sharp lurch to the left on everything from economic policies to cultural issues was not what they voted for. And then there was Afghanistan. Afghanistan.
5: So the thing that I hate the most today is the fact that we have forgotten about what Joe Biden did in Afghanistan. It is still the worst thing I've ever seen any president do in my lifetime. Joe Biden pulling out of Afghanistan with no actual plan, leaving billions of dollars in military hardware to the worst people on earth, leaving tens of thousands of people who relied on America just behind with no actual plan for them, leaving hundreds of Americans behind, getting 13 American service people killed, having people falling off the wheel wells of planes while announcing what a genius he was. It was absolutely horrific. And the fact that he has been largely forgiven by both the media and the general population is itself unforgivable. Well, yesterday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken admitted that there are still 175 Americans trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. So they were lying because they said they got everybody out. They said they had a plan to get everybody out. Now they still admit that there are literally 175 Americans who are stuck in Afghanistan. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is. You know, as close to treasonous policy as I can imagine, just leaving Americans behind the lines with the Taliban because you are too cowardly, as the most powerful country in the history of the planet, to secure their exit.
2: Uh, Congressman,
5: there
0: are. We've gotten used to the media blanking important stories. But Afghanistan marked a turning point in the Biden presidency, both in how the public saw him and in how world leaders viewed our position in the world. Imagine them looking at our country now. As she and Putin form an alliance, along with Saudi Arabia and Iran. And all we can do is the Trump show, day in and day out. Why? Because the Democrats have nothing else to offer the American people. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a story from the Times. Make no mistake, the investigation of Trump and the Stormy Daniels scheme is serious. And one from the Babylon Bee. Trump to be indicted for removing mattress tag in 1997. We don't just look like a country in decline, we are a country in decline. Here we are seven years later and all Democrats have to show for themselves is non-stop persecution of Trump and MAGA and two unelectable candidates at the top of the ticket as we head toward 2024. But it isn't just the top of the ticket, it's every Democrat. There isn't a one of them that is even remotely tolerable. All of them fallen heroes by now, the Sherrod Browns, the Gavin Newsoms, the Sheldon Whitehouses. They have no courage to stand up to the clown show that has become the left, so they are invisible, feckless, unelectable. As they encircle Trump in an effort to finally, at long last, get their money shot, of Trump in a jumpsuit being frog-marched off to prison, they're also keenly aware that Trump is still their last best hope for staying in power. They can't win if anyone else gets the GOP nomination, Any of them can blow Biden out of the water, from Ron DeSantis to Mike Pence. By far, they have the stronger bench. And when that happens, it's 1980, and Democrats will be out of power for a generation. But they also need Trump for reasons they can't explain. All of those years of buttoned-up goodness needed a release valve. Trump uncorked a hedonist bacchanalia. He was the girly magazine under the bed. He was the found cigarette on the street. He was the dirty little secret. They couldn't stop even if they hated themselves for it. Now they could call Melania Trump a slut and feel no guilt. They could call Trump fat and laugh about it. They could make fun of Kellyanne Conway's age and joke freely about Trump sleeping with his daughter. In a culture where using the wrong pronoun could get you fired, they are addicted to what Trump allows them to unleash. But it's starting to become obvious by now. They're the slot machine junkies still sitting there as the sun comes up. They've become like the hit television show that has nowhere else to go with the plot, but the money is too good to quit, so the story just keeps getting weirder, and the writing just gets worse. Still, they know they need Trump because they can't win otherwise. After their unprecedented raid on Mar-a-Lago in August of 2022, followed by a shocking election that broke with history, Suddenly, there were classified documents showing up everywhere, giving the DOJ a good excuse to back off. But they're playing with their Reichstag fire. Even though it's unlikely he will win after the protest and riot on January 6th, it's not impossible. And as Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern point out, Trump in prison likely wins him the election because it exposes the absurdity of their ongoing pursuit to rid their utopia of Trump.
6: If Donald Trump were in jail... He would win the election. In other words, like the, the the political establishment right now is so unpopular that the symbolism of running against the system by being in jail, whether he's guilty or not, I mean, we don't even have to get into that. But it, this continues to me to be an expression of how deeply uh, the people who run this country don't understand how much they're hated. And... And how how much of a favor they keep doing to, um, for Trump by going after him in all these ways that seem like they're you know pickyune or you know uh, technicalities, process crimes, even even the the, the documents thing, it's like <laughs> you, you you're you're giving him. The ability to make all kinds of um, hay out of this because it, it makes it look like he's being persecuted and look he might be you know what I'm saying like the, it, it's a symbol of, of a system that doesn't know how to restrain itself Um well, and- well,
5: well. Bragg, Bragg made, you know and, and what's with the Dick, Dickensian names anyway too you know uh, <laughs> the lawyer named Bragg who, who's going to bring down Donald Trump um, uh, but in any case he, he made no secret of his desire to bring him down which is I, I think many anticipate one of the problems with a potential prosecution because he made such uh you know, uh, prejudicial statements about the guy in advance and and wasn't
4: uh, coy about his desire to see him. uh...
0: To indict and arrest him on such a weak case, and they're all weak, proves everything he's been saying about the swamp was true. It also vindicates January 6th, the protest and the riot, because it proves that this was never about justice or the rule of law or even democracy. It was about a fairy tale, a story based on delusions fighting a supervillain that doesn't exist. But if they don't indict Trump, what will become of the loudest and most hysterical fanatics among them? What of poor Rob Reiner, poor Rachel Maddow, poor Keith Olbermann? Poor, poor Keith Olbermann. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet from Keith Olbermann that says, Urgent! Overnight Trump made additional terrorist threats against Alvin Bragg. The latest vows death and destruction. Trump must be arrested, and as a lethal danger to brag, Letitia James, Jack Smith, Fannie Willis, detained without bail. In one read of history, the 2016 election is reminiscent of the Winter Ball in 1903, the last of its kind for the Romanov dynasty, just moments before the Russian Revolution. Quote, "...the last spectacular ball in the history of the empire." But a new and hostile Russia glared through the large windows of the palace. While we danced, the workers were striking, and the clouds in the Far East were hanging dangerously low. In another read of history, the online ecosphere we built was a beast. And that beast needed to be fed. Trump was the fuel, the target, the addiction. The gladiator sent into the ring again and again. What Trump has is the same thing Russell Crowe had in Gladiator, and it's something that has mostly vanished from American culture of late, but especially on the left unapologetic masculinity. Trump is an alpha male, and that's the main reason he's so tough to defeat in this climate. But even if I thought it would be more strategic to warn MAGA against supporting Trump for 2024 and to pick someone who can serve two terms at least, I learned my lesson in 2016 that democracy only works if people feel like they're invited to participate in it. We all need something to vote for, Something to believe in, not something to vote against. Thanks to Trump, the people who were once glaring through the window at the winter ball have a voice, maybe for the first time. That isn't something they're likely to give up anytime soon. Thanks for listening to my Substack, .substack sashastone.substack.com and remember, to thine own self, be true.
4: Show me the like cold, cold.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat>